Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change. All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I'm absolutely thrilled today to have Natalie Raffae join me. Natalie, welcome. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks for having me today. Absolute pleasure. Now, I'm just briefly going to refer to a little bit of information about you. So excuse me if I look down briefly while I work through that. So Natalie Raffae is founder and CEO of Splash Up, a retail tech startup changing the shopper experience offered by retailers. Natalie's always been into finding ways to do things better and creatively while putting people's experiences and problems at the heart of it. Natalie found out that this fits a space called startups and she's been in and out of that space ever since. Natalie started an e-commerce business as well as joined a startup where she kicked off a business within Mad Paws and launched it to scale. Natalie also advises startups at the University of New South Wales. Natalie's told me startups are in her blood. I can't wait to hear more about your story. So Natalie, for anyone in the audience who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, would you tell us all about who you are and how you ended up in this space? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I don't know where to start. I think that um, I don't know if I found the space or the space found me. Um, so ever since I was a, uh, I was a kid, I was uh, constantly trying to um, create new things. Um, and by create new things, I was never really into um, the mechanical engineering of like, you know, the how do things work together and like how, do, how are toys kind of like to get um, built and everything. But I was always interested in the why and how can this, why is it that way? And why, how can we make it better? Um, when I was in year five, I kicked off like a mini newspaper at the primary school. Um, and it was to help uh, uh, students in year five to actually have a better um, reading experience than like library books. And it's kind of like halfway between like news and articles and, and what's in the library. Um, I realized that I was um, using uh, school supplies, um, paperwork from the school. I was banned from doing that, um, even though we launched one copy. Um, and I also realized that there's a lot of copyright and issues and all that. So I kind of like had to stop my little side project, but I was really interested then to bring something to life that said, well, um, this is cool. I want to make it better. How can I do this and just go and do it? And I've embodied that ever since. So I um, was lucky enough to have been exposed to startups when I was 18. Um, when I started reading a lot, it was like during the day where a lot of apps were booming and I kind of I kind of felt like, oh, great. So this space is a place where people can think of a problem, then come up with a solution and bring it to life and, and, and be with a bunch of people and bring that to life together. Um, so I was really attracted to it from day one. And especially the fact that it was uh, unstructured, it was a bit messy, it was really creative, but also it required some discipline. And I think these are things that I've always been drawn to. I'm a bit of a messy person with a bit of a, I wouldn't call myself creative, but I found that startups are really fitting that. So it was kind of like this personality slash area and timing to be like a very, like a perfect combination um, 
And over time, I just chase opportunities that happen to, to be in that space or read about people that uh, did that or started something. And I constantly continue to be drawn to it um, till today. So I, I call it a curse, but I think it's a beautiful curse um, if you want to place it this way. Fantastic. So they didn't, um, they didn't sort of shut you down totally then, grade five at school. You decided to go on uh, to, you know, to continue in that startup space. It's a lovely story. It's a pity they shut you down. Can I get you to take us right back? Because I know you weren't born in Australia. Tell us about your sort of family background and, and how you ended up here, because I think you ended up in Australia at 18. Is that right? Correct. So I was actually born and uh, raised in uh, in Beirut, Lebanon. I moved to Australia when I was 18 and um, I come from a family that has lived through, um, endured like a lot of um, hardship when it comes to political instability and um, so we're talking about civil wars and we're talking about economic um, instability as well. And so um, the 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 background that I come from is very much full of um, stories and, and history where that was just constantly present. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to be born in a, in a period where there was no civil war, there was no great instability, but I guess relative to the outside world, there definitely was. And the, the things that you were exposed to were like typically, you know, like stories about your parents and their great parents, uh, great grandparents and their own parents and how they've lost homes um, they've had their, uh, their businesses um, boomed and um, they had to stop school for a couple of years. All these different stories where you're just like kind of straight out of a Netflix movie, but you've mm -hmm. kind of, they were like the Sunday lunch stories that your parents told you. Um, and so when I, when I was 18, I think my parents sensed that there would be an, like some potential risk if we continue living there. So dad, um, my parents made the call to, to come to Australia. And so when I was 18, I started university here. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I guess the one thing I would say is like, I, even despite being in a place that had some instability, um, my, my family, my dad's side was a bit more enterprising. And so that kind of gave me um, that gene to maybe go and pursue things despite, you know, having some, um, you know, challenges along the way um, for them, I guess. Um, and so I continue to like, yeah, I moved to, I moved to when I was 18 and um, I told myself, well, what a, like, there's no better place to start anything. Um, and I'm lucky to be here. So you're, I remember you telling me when we first met, your grandfather's story in particular was very uh, sort of motivating to you. Um, did your grandfather, I'm trying to recall, did he have his own business? Was there something trying to work out where this entrepreneurial side of you comes from. Yeah, so he had his own business, um, a few ones actually. So he, um, when he was like really, really young, he would uh, wake up at four o'clock every morning and go work at this bakery. Um, he was the poorest there. And so he would like save every penny that he made. Um, he would work super hard. And then he told the owner that he would buy him out one day. And the owner laughed in his face and said, well, um, okay, good luck. And to, until one day the bakery was going through some trouble. And my grandpa who would wake up and work in this room that's full of heat, wake up every day and work hard, um, ended up saving a lot of like the, the money necessary to buy the bakery. So he went and purchase it off him, um, expanded that to become um, a substantial like you know, 
had have a substantial presence in the market. Wouldn't say the largest baker in the city, but was definitely had a presence. Um, but then the war um, hit that and and ruined the entire place. Um, so my granddad ended up going and starting a supermarket and another business, and so started from scratch, knowing nothing about nothing about anything, but was just able to figure it out. It's like, yeah, it's just logical, and he just figured it out. Um, that also got. <laughs> lost and bombed unfortunately oh. and then he started another one um and and so he just kept on going and going and going and um for me that stories like that and hearing you know um hearing that is is incredibly motivating um because you know we talk about resilience and persistence but there's no other way to say well like you know our business got shut down like no it literally got shut down mm. um it physically in every single and it's not just that it's like he also had lost his house he lost his car and he had like a few kids so um I think I I I try to mimic that but maybe to less extremes because I think waking up at four and working in a hot room every day is a bit too much for me um yeah fantastic and when you moved to Australia there was a choice wasn't there there was a consideration around potentially the U.S. or Australia at the time Correct. Yes. And you guys came here, which is lucky for us. Uh, yes. And I'm, I wanted to come here, actually, instead of going to the States, because I found that Australia was this uh, really far secluded place, but it was full of excitement and opportunity. It wasn't as buzzy as um, Silicon Valley. And um, it had so much potential, it had everything going for it, but just not the same exact scale like you know the same scale as as the states and obviously it's a smaller country with with less people but i found that there's more opportunity here and i found that um my heart was 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 there um so i'm i'm lucky in every sense to to to, to be here and i'm incredibly grateful and if anything that's one of the reasons one of the many reasons why i actually want to want to give back and also and also do something here um i think i think it motivates you so much when you're given the chance to be here to just go out there and and pursue uh, aggressively what you want um, mm -hmm. because you're incredibly lucky and it's just a positive motivator and as well you know like you're able to give back I think I think it's it's just an absolutely fantastic feeling and I hope to be able to do that one day I'm still working towards it in early early days but I hope to be able to do that one day. So you went to to uni here what did mm -hmm. you study? I studied commerce. Um, I did major in finance and marketing at uh, university at the University of Sydney. Um, but interestingly, I've always had I've always had a, a flair for journalism. So this is like we can keep that for another day. Um, and so I did my master's in journalism um, and communication at UNSW afterwards because I know that I've, I still want to embody that. Um, I want to pursue that in some in some shape or form in the future, maybe in ten years down the track. Um, and and I um, yeah, so I felt that by doing commerce and finance and marketing, I'm kind of I'm kind of the way I thought about it, um, covering some of the key pillars in starting a business. Um, I know that I sucked at legal stuff, and I also um, may not be the best accountant, but um, I, I know that I needed some finance and marketing kind of background, and I could figure out the rest. So, yeah. Fantastic. So when in your journey, I know you started, you got involved in a, in a shop at some stage, so bricks and mortar side of things at some stage. When was that in this journey? Um, so it was all online. I did that a few years ago when 
um, e-commerce was absolutely booming, it still is, but it was the early days of like when you had a Shopify store. And so um, I decided I found an opportunity in uh, women accessories um, industry. And so I launched a brand called House of Looks there that um, sold um, like women accessories. Um, and that gave me an incredible experience because I was able to do things differently, differently from the first time where I built and launched an app with absolutely no user testing, no nothing. I did well, my research, I found the gap, yeah. Take us back, take us back then to the first one, um, which was the app development, yeah? Oh, that was horrible. So I, it was, I mean, like just thinking about it, I just want to, like, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed, but it's all right. So I, I was at, when I was at university, the first thing that I've done was I made this app. I used $5,000 of my savings um, and I paid developers to go and build an app um, to create this like social network that allows people to uh, find easy, like, like good times to meet and have a bit of like this university kind of like um, angle, like social angle to it. It was the biggest flop in the world. Like, I think it didn't look horrible. It was fine, but the competitors were doing a better job. I actually was the founder of this app, but I was like using my competitor's product. Oh. It, was, it was just better. Like, I was just like, just face it. Like, they're just better than me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I launched it with no user testing. I just mapped out some user requirements which were fine. I went to the developer. I was like, please replicate that. Um, and it was, it was, it was funny because like the day before we launched, um, like to give you some idea on how poor planning, how poorly planned it was, um, we forgot to have like a complete admin dashboard to manage like the social network. Um, and so the night before launch, I told the developer like, oh, we actually forgot to create a dashboard to manage like, you know, an admin dashboard. And, and he was like, oh yeah, oh no, like, um, sure, I'll just do it now. And it was just the worst thing in the world. Um, we didn't ask people what, you know, what was this app really doing? Um, and looking back, I think I could have solved it with, with easier tools, lesser time, and took my time to really understand what the gap was and maybe go beyond the university. Because I guess when you're exposed, when you're in a space, you kind of solve problems within that space. But sometimes it's important to take a step back, look beyond that space and realize that there are other problems to tackle and they can be expanded. Um, so there's a lot of learnings there, but I, yeah, like, I think that's just in the past and I'm glad that I've had, I think I've had like a few hundred users, which was good, but mm -hmm. like my churn was, was just ridiculous. And um, yeah, it's just something that I would like to not really do again. So then it was into the e-commerce fashion side of things. Yes. So I, afterwards I realized that I needed some proper experience in life. And so I went and joined an IT company, worked a little bit in project management, realized that it really wasn't my, 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 my space. It's kind of like, did I have a strong voice at the table? Um, I could, I didn't, and I could never really be excel in project management in the IT sector. So I, I really had that, I missed starting something. So I did that on the side. Um, continued to do that, grew that, and then I joined a startup where um, I was just hungry for that. You know, like I learned the structured processes and project management, but now I was ready to go at it again, but do it in a more risk averse way yeah. um, and be part of a team that has already done it. And that's the story of when I, when I, when I started at Macros.
Okay. So, um, so when you were working in the corporate space, so in the IT space, in the project management role, you saved up your money and you put that money towards your e-commerce space. Um, at the time, were your parents supportive of the risks that you were taking? Like how, how do they sort of factor in, in this story? Um, I think my parents, I'm lucky enough to have always had supportive, supportive parents, but I think they never really understood what I was doing. I think to this day, only up until recently, my dad stopped calling it, how's your little project going or how's your project going? Yeah. Um, but they always just never really understood it because um, for them, they they understand business as being, you know, you buy real estate and you buy some supply and you stock it and then you have a capital and a lot of capital and you see the thing that you're selling, mm. um, whether it's a product or a service. Um, and with, in my case, it was more tax or they didn't understand what I was doing, but they trusted me enough to know that I wasn't the kind of person who would just wing it. Um, and so there was that element of trust that I've built up over the years. I just think that like, um, and they were very really supportive, but after my first app failure, I would say they kind of were a bit like, what is really, what is she really doing? Like, um, what is this thing that she's really getting into? Um, so they had a sense of, of, of happiness when I had a job, um, but they knew that it was going to be short-lived. So it's kind of like they had to adjust their expectations, I guess. Yeah. Where do you think that drive or that need comes from for you? Have you thought about it to, uh, you know, to not be in the corporate space and to be out um, creating your own environment? Um, I've always known that. Because I've always thought that I just, I realized that my happiness comes from creating things. And I knew that that was capped in a corporate space. I know things are changing now. We're lucky enough to be in a place where a lot of companies are embracing entrepreneurship. And I think this is like the golden era for someone like me, where like, you know, like you've got options in both places. So kudos to them for like doing all of, taking all of these initiatives, but for me, it's always been a question of um, not being, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, not being okay with just seeing, having having a pathway that's already mapped out. I don't mm -hmm. enjoy that. And I find a lot of joy in carving my own path. And, and I think that telling myself, reminding myself, I guess from when I was young, I would read these autobiographies and I would say you should just the things that I was exposed to like you should never be okay with settling for a job and you should never be okay with like just having a paycheck and and I think some of these lessons are a bit extreme a lot of people need a paycheck and it's it's, it's incredible it's a fantastic thing to have a job and to actually make a living and to grow and learn in a space that that you enjoy but for me I took the extreme like the extreme of these lessons to say to go the other end and to apply them in a way that I choose to apply them so I can get and create the life that I want. So it's not necessarily beliefs that I believe in. I just had to believe in them so that I can keep away from it. Um, and, and so I think that that's like, I, I kind of had to tell myself to, to, to delineate myself from the corporate world for a long time um, mm -hmm. because I knew where I had the most fun. And, and if anything, I want to be able to mimic the corporate world, take the goodness that comes with it, but then to be able to create it myself and to give it to, um, to the people that I work with me in a, in a really 
fun, um, not a fun like ping pong tables and stuff, but like in a in, in a way that I think I've always wanted it to be. Can you remember what those books were that you read that sort of influenced you that way? Yeah, so there is um, Sam Walton, Made in America. Uh-huh. Um, so I I find I love this guy. Like he gets a lot of scrutiny, but I, I try to take the, the the quirkiness that comes with with these characters. And um, Sam Walton, Made in America, so he was absolutely obsessed, absolutely just obsessed with getting ahead of the competitors and giving the customers the best experience. He was so crazy that he would like take his kids, put them in a car and then drive around the States, go to like supermarket, supermarket, measure like the distance between aisles and be obsessed with that level of detail to just look at, well, what are my competitors doing? Um, so I really like that book. Um, there's also like the typical kind of books that um, are very inspiring, like thinking we're rich and, um, yes. And um, I think this was, uh, and also um, the, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So he was like kind of like entry-level books. I was like, oh, there's like all of this stuff in the world. But I also enjoyed autobiographies in business because they they move away from portraying like um, Lee Iacocca, like uh, his autobiography. Yes. Um, and I, I think I kind of really enjoyed reading these books because they show the human side of these people that a lot of people don't see. It's just a Wikipedia page. That is, well, this person was a CEO and whatever of this company, but when you read their stories and you dive into their brains, you realize how, how awesome they are in some way. And I don't want to make statements because some people might have had some controversies or, yes. uh, and I understand, but like they had some, some, some things that I would love to have mm -hmm. to mimic and to learn from and the human side of them and that crazy flair that they have you're like oh okay that's that's how it kind of got built up but I also respect it you have a role model today um a role model today so I I think I, I I'm gonna maybe sound a bit like like odd but I actually don't have a yep. single role model I think there's many individuals that are in different areas that inspire me and in, in a lot of ways like I take, I, I, I think about founders as, or like as me as being someone with like a toolbox of qualities and, and skills. And, yep. um, and I like to take and embody different qualities from different role models um, in life rather than have a specific figure. Uh, so yeah, like very inspired by um, a lot of um, people also outside of, um, of, of the business world. And I like to, uh, I like to, yeah, I like to kind of like mix it up a little bit. I might ask you for some names later on. I'd love to move on, Natalie, to um, your current startup, so Splash Up. Mm -hmm. And Splash Up um, uh, in 2021 won the Accelerate program, um, which was part of Commonwealth Bank's venture scaling group, um, X15 Ventures. So you know, enormous recognition of the potential of the business that you're currently CEO and founder of. I'd love to ask some questions about it. And just a couple that come to mind firstly are, what's the problem you're solving in that space? So where, where's that kind of idea come from in terms of what you're doing? Um, so we might start there. So what we're solving is the problem for retailers to create a proper connection with their shoppers while they're browsing online. Um, E-commerce at the moment is, is very transactional and lacks that 
human element that we what we have in uh, offline and so what we want to do is we want to give retailers that ability to to have the capabilities to create that connection with their shoppers and give shoppers that ability to to be understood and to have to creatively find things without the mental and mental effort to go and and, and go after like um, expressing what they want and how to find it and how to seek it so we want to be the bridge that allows that product discovery bridge that give both what they actually truly want, which is a connection and actually ultimately the product that they want to find or sell. Okay. And you started this journey uh, with a co-founder and I know that that relationship um, isn't continuing forward. So are you now um, focused on this as a solo founder? Primarily, yes. But I'm lucky enough to um, have to have a fantastic support network, a support network. And I think that um, even though it is kind of at the moment a solo founder, I have had the, uh, it's kind of like odd how life works. You have a relationship that doesn't really work out well, but then something in you, like once this happens, you're like, I'm just going to go at it alone. And, but something in you says, well, life is all about putting ourselves out there and opening up and taking another chance. And so recently I've been working with um, an individual uh, in the past couple of months where we've been progressing really nicely on, on things. And at the moment, I'm still a solo founder, I would say, but I'm very much open to having someone again. And I'm very positive about how things are going so far with that person. Um, combining that with an incredible support network from advisors, investors, who I'm very, very thankful and grateful for. And, uh, and a team we've got, we've had many, many awesome team members that join us sporadically on the journey. Like when you're a startup, you can't hire everyone full time, but they're all very committed to helping me out here and there and to, to kind of like put things, everything back together. So uh, yeah, it's, it's ups and downs, but I'm, I'm, I'm very pumped for this year. It's such a great conversation, isn't it? If you are loving the conversation and you want to hear more about how you can take the next step in your career, come and find out about our masterclasses Join our website at bravefeminineleadership.com. See you there. So where's it going to be in 10 years' time? Where are you going to be and where's Splash Up going to be in 10 years' time? So we want, we want everyone, every household to, to, to experience Splash Up. By experience Splash Up, we want to, we want to be able to allow users to, to be understood, to have Splash Up as that their heart and their mind that understands them anywhere they go and that they use to make their shopping simpler, better, and easier. So initially what we are hoping to create is an experience that guides users through the product that they want while saving them, giving them the tools to better navigate. So essentially what we want to do is you want to integrate with retailers. At the moment, we're integrating with retailers to provide a better engaging experience. So through this layer, users will be able to tap onto this toolbox. And this toolbox is that toolbox that understands them and guides them towards the product that they want, but also um, really simplifies and saves them time. So how many times you go on a website and you have to put your size every time or your, the price every time. And you're like, I just want to just get me, you know, like, why don't you just understand? Like, this is who I am. This is the price range that I'm after. And then let me filter on the other things or, mm-hmm. or just help me with this. Cause I don't really understand. I don't know which one to pick. And so by bridging that, by simplifying that, we want to be able to, um, to help shoppers anywhere, anytime for any product and to truly understand them and simplify that experience and be that, that support, that, that hand holder 
assistant um, anywhere they go shopping. Natalie, I want to change gears now and I wanted to ask you about, you know, part of the Brave Feminine Leadership interview series is about inspiring female leaders to be braver mm -hmm. um, and to potentially take steps that, that they're contemplating taking. And quite often we hear that, you know, a lot of um, females, primarily in the corporate space where I've done most of the interviews in these series, often feel self-doubt, imposter syndrome and kind of self-reject from stepping forward for opportunities. Have you ever, do you experience that? Do you feel... All the above. <laughs> do you feel self-doubt? Absolutely. So how do you navigate that? Because you don't have a structure around you to support you. Or, I mean, you, you maybe do through your network, but um, how do you navigate when you feel that way? Um, so this is a this is a big question, and I think that I still struggle with that on a daily basis. Almost, um, I think I think that um, where do I start? So the imposter syndrome part has always been there. I think because I've by by taking a stand against things and going and saying I'm going to go and start something. Usually, you like I've done that when I was at a like at a younger age. So that imposter syndrome and then being maybe a woman has kind of amplified things, especially when you're like in a room and you're like the only woman or like you are the youngest. And I've faced that quite a few times. And so you kind of tell yourself like, what am I really doing here? Like you don't really deserve, you've got all these voices inside of you. Um, so at the moment, I still feel that, but less, it's less extreme because I've been, I've been telling myself and I've, I've been lucky enough to actually have male mentors around me to pinpoint the things that how I say things mm -hmm. and how I doubt myself and to, and to correct me on certain things that I say or, 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 or methods that I do, like the, the way that I write or structure my work or approach things and to encourage me at the same time. And I, unfortunately, I'm using male mentors on purpose because at the moment I, I like, I would love to, and we can touch on that a little bit later if you want, but like, this was what I was exposed to, what I am exposed to. Um, but I'm lucky enough in a sense to have uh, individuals that are much more experienced than I am to tell me that it's okay, it's normal, and to help me deal with it and address the core of, of what it is. Um, because sometimes like I would have imposter syndrome because I may not know how to, how to build a financial model and mm -hmm. so I would start having any kind of mistake that I do like if it's like a little thing I would be really hard I'm I just become really harsh on myself but by having someone else tell me like hey it's okay like that just because you don't know that it doesn't mean that you know you've got all of these negative things that you keep telling yourself yeah. I will yeah. help you let's just find a bit of a structure and then you learn that and then you feel a lot better and more in control and so it's a combination of of taking these thoughts and someone told me how to like it, at least process them and place them in this like box in front of you. And then, and then look at them as an external and be like, why am I thinking, why am I feeling this way? Think about it, then rationalize why it's, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And then acknowledge what's core or like the essence of it. Like, what is, why do you have these voices? Because you're lacking something. What is that? Something It's maybe structure. And then, having someone to help you go through filling these gaps in your skill set. Um, and over time, you kind of feel a lot more and more in control because you faced that before. So, um, but I, I still have that every day. And 
and the last thing I would say is that the more you go through the founder journey, like the more you advance, the more new challenges that you have that you've never faced before. So um, you always have that imposter syndrome or like these negative feelings, like you can't do this, you can't do that. And for example, with raising for our pre-seed round, same thing happened. I was like, I can't, I really can't do it. I just cannot do it. I just want one single $20,000 check. Um, and then I got that. I'm like, great. Like you got that. Now let's get the the second one. And, and so it's just a, it's a constant struggle, but I don't think it should be that way either. And you faced, um, I remember us talking about this when you and I first met, um, you know, you talked earlier about being female, the youngest. And I mean, you yeah. ticked a lot, you ticked all those boxes every time you showed up <laughs> seeking funding. So, and I know you had some really direct kind of feedback along the way. Do you want to share any of those sort of examples of, of what people cared to share? With you <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would say 99% of the times I've been very impressed with everything, like the support and the encouragement that I've received. It was like, we like, it's, it's great that you're young and it's great that you're a woman and I want to support you. And, um, and it's fantastic. I would never was even like, sometimes it would be explicit. Sometimes it would like, just treat me the same, like as everyone else. And that's what I've always wanted. But obviously you get like the itch cases here and there, like when you're fundraising, um, as an example, you are ultimately a smaller statistic than, you know, like a very small statistic compared to the wider statistic of like who raises the most and who raises successfully. So statistically, the numbers don't really stack up um, well for you. And I've had a, I've had a few times where I, where I had that explicit kind of like, you know, like, um, you know, I wouldn't just waste my time, like, you know, like just could do something else or, um, some stories were a bit more confronting, like some people were a bit more confronting, but mostly it was pretty positive, I would say. So if I've said to you along your journey, what's come first? Is it confidence or is it courage? It's courage for sure. Confidence is, it's kind of like this very thin layer that we put um, but it's absolutely courage. Um, it, that's what fuels confidence. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that like confidence gets built up over time. Um, but courage is just always there. Um, it's just consistent. It's like, we always have the courage to go and do something, go after it. But I've had a lot of times where I would appear confident and deep down, I'm just not. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like this, like, you know, when you meet with a VC or like an investor, as an example, you put this front, you know, confident to you, you got this, like, you know where you're going, you know, everything. But of course, deep down, you're like really trying to keep it all together. Um, but over time, the more you do it, you're kind of actually have that regardless because you have this conviction that gets built up. Like I've met with over 80 investors and I could really remember the first time, the first investor I met with, I hope they don't, they, they don't know that they were the first, but like just looking and reflecting, it was so embarrassing. Like how I kind of like was, didn't carry myself like in to the level of confidence that I would have hoped to carry myself with. Um, and so I think courage builds confidence over time in short. Fantastic. What would be your superpower as a founder? Uh if I were to pick one, I would say 
maybe mental agility. So um, the one thing that I would say is that, yeah, like maybe taken from like telling myself that eventually it will stop raining. Like it just has to stop. So by telling myself this constantly that, you know, it will not be always bad, just keep pushing through. Um, I was able to, through a lot of times where I found some adversity to tell myself, like, just keep going and to be patient and calm and to go and seek advice or help that I need or um, surround myself and learn. Um, so the mental agility mixed with humility, I would say, because if I'm too like, yeah, it's going to be fine. It's also bad. But if I'm more um, calm and focused, I'm like, it will, it will pass. Okay. What do I do now? What do I do with it? I need to learn, address that. I need to surround myself with people that are better than me, address that um, and constantly push through that. It's kind of like you, you remorph that reality over time. So uh, yeah, mental agility, I would say. Do you feel like you have a kind of, um, I don't know whether the terminology is right, but like a security blanket that, um, you know, I don't know, just is there is there something that, um, you know, you always kind of keep close to yourself to, to enable you to keep taking all of these different risks that you take? Um, no, I think the security blanket is more, it will be okay. Like what is the worst thing that could happen? I still have, and I guess this is the extreme comparison that I take, like, you know, look at what your ancestors have gone through or like, look at the country that you're from, like look at the, the, the hardship that's going there. Then what's the worst thing that could happen? I could always have hopefully a roof over my head. I could, um, I could always like, maybe like, you know, be able to, to support myself at a fundamental level. Um, and that security blanket, I think, gets gets filled up the more risk you take. So I'll give you an example with Paychex. Um, mm -hmm. When I was working at Madbo's or any kind of place, um, you kind of get comfortable. It's nice. Like you have that comfortable feeling of having a paycheck. And um, I was very, at some point, I was I was like, this is, this is fine. This is okay. And that actually gave me a full security I was actually cushioned but mm -hmm. by taking that away you find yourself being able to build that anti-fragile um, mindset that allows you to have this or like your own security blanket that you will be okay and that you don't need that and you will find the means to survive um, but I would maybe after that the fact that it's just not uncalculated risk um, you don't go, I don't go in being like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do this and forget everything. I'm still very mindful of my finances because ultimately I need to support myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's just calculated risk. Like you identify opportunities like cryptocurrency or things like that. And you're like, I'm just going to, you know, take a bet. Like I could be right. Um, and, and, you know, I, and, and do well, or I could be wrong and learn something. So there's nothing to lose. Um, second, second last question. I just wanted to ask you, as Splash Up grows, looking forward into the next 10 years, do you foresee yourself, um, you know, making the sort of transition to, um, and you are CEO of the company today at the startup stage, but do you see yourself making the transition to CEO or 
do you see yourself, you know, potentially putting someone in to do that to enable you to keep these ideas bubbling up um, along the way? Um, so this is something, this is a great question, um, Mel. Like I, I think that the more you nurture and build that startup, it becomes like your baby. And so it kind of gives you that, um, that attachment to it where like, yeah, you've had different ideas, but you really love that idea. Like you've, you've nurtured that you would have grown that and it becomes hard to, to let go. Um, ultimately I would want to do what's best for the business. So if in the future, I personally would love to grow and learn and grow into that. But if that child or that baby gets at a point where like they need better support yeah. then I'm, I'm I'm open to the possibility of like whatever that's right for 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 the business to continue to continue growing and flourishing um but I would love to uh continue taking care of it um as we go and and in the future like a long long future then explore additional opportunities because yeah you can never get um get too many ideas <laughs> Can I ask you the final question that I ask everybody, which is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like today and do you think it needs to change? Um, to me, like feminine leadership has the qualities that have always existed in any leader that we look up to. Um, we've always looked at masculine or like more male dominant leadership as some leadership that is that embodies the character traits of of resilience and decisiveness and being bold and feminine leadership to be more empathetic and flexible and intuitive and open and um and i think that we a, a good leader has both whether or not they are female or, or male i think they should have a balance of both um because being, being an extreme of either of those, I think is also a recipe for a disaster in the long run. Um, does it need to change? I think we need to embrace these qualities a bit more. Um, one of the things that I, I personally have been thinking about was if, I'm, if I appear as too resilient, sorry, too decisive, I may come across to someone, and I, I don't know if these are like internal thoughts, but I fear that I'm coming across as true bossy or too demanding and I try to balance that by having some more of a like a flexible um intuitive or like that kind of caring um angle but sometimes I actually realize that it's kind of just like it's all in my head and it's important to be decisive as well it's important to show that you are you're 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 confident you're committed and you're courageous but like I, I unfortunately we're, we shouldn't mistake this for like you know not being feminine leadership either so we should, should embrace them a lot more we should embrace these qualities a lot more um but also be mindful that we use our strength to also em embellish them with some with some um non-feminine traits that are stereotypically feminine traits to add to our toolbox um and that's where the real strength comes out i think Fantastic. Um, Natalie, you are, um, you know, clearly such a thoughtful, well-read, um, ambitious, creative uh, founder, and it's been an absolute pleasure to, to meet you. you 
and to have the chance to interview as part of our Brave Feminine Leadership Series. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. It's been my absolute pleasure, Mel. Thank you. If the conversation's resonating with you and it's starting some questions around you and your future and your next step, come and join us. Come and join the conversation at bravefeminineleadership.com. We would love to meet you.